Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Everybody out there, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Shad. I'm doing good. I'm glad to hear it. We want to say thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for this episode. We'll get our shout-outs taken care of right here at the beginning. The first one is going to go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That is the number four capital C in Corners, capital P in Podcast, to save 10% off your order. And our the other shout-out that I do is um, folks in eastern Kentucky could still use your help with the uh, with rebuilding. They're past the clean-out stage. They're on the rebuilding stage now. And if you would like to help them, uh, if you would like to contribute to the campaign and get a shirt out of it, go through Appalachian Apparel. If you would like to find a place to try and contribute directly, I would say go through Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P dot org. They can direct you to the folks that are doing the good work. Our other shout out goes to Matt. Uh, that would be to Orlando Cologne. Uh, you know, Orlando Cologne, uh, he uh, sent me a message. He said, it's fall, folks. Go out there and start picking some apples. Start doing <laughs> fall things. You know, we're right around the corner from pumpkin festivals, too. Pumpkin. Yeah. Uh, seasonal pumpkin stuff. I yeah, was at Trader Joe's this past weekend. There was pumpkin stuff everywhere. Yep. They have one. They have one near us, and you can get pumpkin donuts in there. Delicious. I actually at Trader have some... Joe's? No, this is or... a festival. Circle Ball uh, has, see. like, the pumpkin festival. And um, mm. you can go get yourself some pumpkin donuts in there. Delicious. Uh, my wife and I went with some friends this past Sunday. Uh, we picked apples. It was fantastic. It was 88 degrees outside. It was not pleasant, but did you do, <laughs> it was fun. It was, did you, do they have like where the farm they have around here where they you can they give you a basket and you pay like a price and then yes. you can yeah okay. We have so many apples right now. I have so many. <laughs> my, <laughs> we have an entire. You have like half a peck or something of apples this is the best time of year because of the honey crisp apples which are the best apples we my wife and i are like sitting down to brainstorm like numerous recipes because we had to get rid of these apples they're gonna go bad if we have to keep them too much longer there's uh i actually have a few bottles of pumpkin ale in the <laughs> uh, in the fridge and the amusing thing is that uh I, I cracked one open and took a drink and I was like, oh, this, this is pretty good. This actually. And then I handed it to my wife to try and she does not like beer, but she tried it and then went, I'm mad at this. And I said, why? And she goes, because 
the pumpkin flavor in this is great, and then the bitter comes up, and I don't like that. Mm. And it's like, well, okay, fair enough. Who made it? Uh, where did I get it from? I think I might have gotten it at Aldi. Now that I think about it, mm. because it's it's just labeled as pumpkin ale. <laughs> like there's not anything complicated to it. Aldi doesn't really do a lot of uh, name brand stuff. We did a no. we did a we went we did a wedding two weekends ago that was in a brewery, and um, they had on tap it was a blueberry cider with lavender, and it was quite delicious. I don't. It's said before I don't really like cider that much. That's fair enough. Right now, like you could do pumpkin, but uh, it's it's been Oktoberfest season in, season, so I uh, I'm enjoying Oktoberfest. So Oktoberfest is my favorite uh, time of year for beer. Uh, so I'm gonna then transition into uh, the pumpkin beers, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying Oktoberfest stuff. Well, I can't argue with that. So all right, um, but. As for the topic of this week, we are coming back from next week. What are we looking at? So this week we are continuing our Eddie Gilbert journey. Actually, we're going back to the GWF, which we seem to love um, touching on on a yearly basis. But this is this is kind of one of the more known series of matches from that promotion, which is uh, Eddie Gilbert versus Terry Garvin slash Terry Sims. so this is going to be a four part, like four matches in like a, over a couple of months. Okay. So, um, why don't you get us started, Brad? Where do we start from here? So, the, I think this first one was mistitled. I'm not sure though, because it was, it said it was a TV title tournament, and I don't know if that was true. Okay. I thought it was for the North American title, but I could be wrong. Okay. Because they talked about facing the Dark Patriot. Right. And I remember them talking about Dark Patriot. Yeah. Which is Doug Gilbert, if you don't yeah. know. Okay. All right. For those, yeah, for those who don't know, Dark uh, Patriot is actually just Doug Gilbert, which is Eddie Gilbert's real-life brother. Yeah. And for a time, the Dark Patriot, for the time, I think it was like it was something that I thought as a kid like was cool uh, because it's very like comic bookish. Yeah. In the sense that you had the Patriot. Patriot was like their big face of the company. But Dark Patriot was literally just like a dark, evil version of the Patriot. And right. I thought that was like so cool because it's that it's like a comic book trope where it's like, you know, the villain. You have you have like oftentimes the one villain who is basically the mirror opposite of the good guy in many ways. That, sometimes down to color scheme, too, but. You can do that with Star Trek and get goatees in it as well. <laughs> True. Well, Mirror universe, baby. So fun. Mm. So fun fact. Um, Eddie Gilbert was booking ECW for a while, especially when Heyman came along. And mm. in '93, because you can start getting the TV on a weekly basis from about April of 1993 to the end. So they brought him in in like the summer of '93 um, because what they had done is they had they had merged hot stuff international with the dangerous Alliance in ECW. Uh-huh. So it was, it was Gilbert and Heyman working together, but Heyman decided to bring the dark Patriot over and Eddie's like, no, I, d- I don't like working with this guy. And it was really interesting because they, they pretty much touched on their GWF stuff mm-hmm. to play into the ECW stuff, which was an interesting little wrinkle of detail. Gotcha. Um, so, so this ahead. is, 
so first of all, with this match, I did not like because they both are heelish in their own way, and it really threw off the whole the whole um, balance of the match. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, because because I, I I got stuff I'll say after you get done. Because we're picking up the ref and like putting him on the top rope thing was weird. That was weird. Yeah. I. Which that one? was weird, and the ref interjecting himself so much at the start, and I'm like, dude, get out of the way! What are you doing? There's a, there's a fun match from GWF around this time with Eddie Gilbert where the ref is like patting him down and keeps finding weapons on him. <laughs> I um, I did that in my first match under my not being under a. Uh, uh, not being under a mask, like as myself, I I, I did that exact gimmick. <laughs> it, it's so evergreen and fun that you it, you kind of have to, right? Like it's yeah. one of those things that it's a good trope to lean into. So this was this was a weird match. So I guess there was another match that they had referenced because they they mentioned they had a match where they couldn't punch each other. Yes, they did mention yeah. that, and um, I think that's why they punched so much in this, but. So I, I had some issues with this match right from the start. Well, one is, um, so it's Craig Johnson, I think, who's okay, but then Bruce Pritchard's on commentary. And Bruce Pritchard is just god-awful throughout mm. this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've yeah. ever liked a single thing Bruce Pritchard's done in wrestling. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Well. I don't think I've liked anything he's ever booked. I didn't like Brother Love. I don't like his commentary here. Yeah. I um, I honestly didn't even pay that much attention to the commentary in this one. You said they had a match where they couldn't throw a punch, and so they threw a bunch of punches here. Yeah. And all I could think is watching this is Garvin should have just stuck with that stipulation because, oh, my God. Terry Garvin throws punches elbow first. And not like he throws forearms. Like the punch impacts the side of the guy's face. But whenever he throws it, his elbow rotates into his body first. And then his fist follows it up high. And it's this, like, in me experimenting with my own punches, I did that in one match and then said, I'm never doing that again. It, it, it looks awful. And he did that the entire match this match also has a problem i have with all of the matches really is the matches are very 50 50 all four of them yeah Mm -hmm. and um it really frustrated me because i wanted terry garvin to work underneath and make comebacks and that's not really what they did yeah no it's not what's uh was Axel like booking things at the time? No, I think Eddie was booking at this time. Oh, I see. That would, that would make sense. But um, I gotta be honest with you guys. I really did not like this match. Um, God, I'm gonna be, we're gonna talk about every one of these matches, but I'm gonna yeah. be honest with you. Like, I don't know that there was any single one of these four matches that I liked. I like the fourth one. I like. I felt well. We'll get there. Yeah, I, I felt it was it was competent enough. I but felt I didn't the, really like them. I felt I felt um, 
they sequentially got a little bit better, and I thought the third and fourth matches were far better than the first two matches. Mm-hmm. I'll agree with that. I'll definitely agree with that, but this the, first one's awful. Because the first one's not very good. The second one was kind of there, but then there felt like it felt like there were stakes to like the third and fourth match that were unstated, but it just felt like the way they approached the match made it feel more important and like there was something on the line. Mm-hmm. One of the saving graces of this is um, Eddie Gilbert's selling made Terry Garvin in this. Like everything, like his sell, Garvin would do something and I'd be like, and then Gilbert's sell would be so good that I'd be like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm not totally checked out. But this first match, by the way, I hate the finish on it. This finish actively offends me as a fan. Mm. If I if if I'd been doing a show and someone get through this finish to me, they're like, okay, we're this is what we're gonna do with the finish. I'd be like, no, we're gonna do something else. I'm not doing this. Um, they they're part of a tournament, and so there has to be a winner, right? And they, what is it? They they do a like a double down ten count. I yeah, think. they do like a double TKO count. And they're like, well, there has to be a winner, so whoever gets to his feet first wins. And they I'm did just the like, Rocky two finish, essentially. I'm just like, are you... Are you I, I'm sitting there looking at it, and I, I just muttered around, are you shitting me? Like, seriously? <sighs> you didn't have to do that. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't particularly care for it. No. Um, I, I, if I, they would have continued I, the match, I would have been okay, but like the... I just wanted you to get to your feet. And, I kind of feel like I got I, I kind of like understood what they were trying to do because they, they Eddie needed to go over but they kind of wanted to make they kind of they wanted to make Garvin look good so they wanted to make it seem like uh, he tried to gut it out and then he just like you know last minute collapsed they undersell it they screw it up because they're like oh you got to get to your feet they're both getting to their feet and then Garvin just freaking bumps down he's almost to his feet and just drops and i'm like god seriously without them really establishing like why that should happen like it's not as if eddie was like heavily working over his leg yeah that his leg like collapse or eddie was like heavily working over like his head area or neck where it's like okay like he did the whole like owen hart uh sean michaels concussion thing where he's like dropping down what i don't understand too is so you had like you had bruce pritchard there pretty much having like a literal almost boner talking about eddie gilbert why if you're gonna have him do that why not just have him come and smack um garvin in the leg and trip him up mm-hmm. or if you're gonna do back. all this and you want to make it seem super even just do the 10 count spot but have have uh, Gilbert be the one that makes it up and Garvin stays down, or do it with a count out. Do it on the outside, and they're both down, and you've got the ten count, and Gilbert's the one that just barely scrambles back in and gets the win that way. So it it you get the same thing without the we'll restart this. The first one to his feet wins. Like screw you. Yeah, like, I'm actively pissed off at you doing that. That was that was really dumb. That's one of the dumbest finishes other than um the double count out on the lumberjack match um, we've seen 
Was it count out or a DQ? It doesn't matter. Both of them are stupid. Yeah. No, they uh, did do a double DQ in a cage match in the the UWF. Or Hogan winning a uh, a four corner strap match by pinning Ric Flair. Also. Yes. It's just like come God. Uh, Anyway, that was the first match. Um, second match I've got here, I don't really have a lot of notes on it. But also, one um, thing... them mentioning this was a tournament gave me some real PTSD to doing that TV title tournament last year. <laughs> yeah. I had like a facial tick, I think, when they said that. I'm like, eh, eh. No, 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 please don't. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I noticed in doing all of this is... Eddie Gilbert had really good, and I couldn't come up with a better way of phrasing it. I wanted to have a better term for it, but he has really good in-ring economy. Mm-hmm. He, he does not um, – he is – in the same way that I know that I have I've fanboyed over how Dustin Rhodes does it, is that he does more with less, and in doing so, in his economy, he – he does a lot without having to do a lot. He doesn't kill himself doing a bunch of stuff, and the stuff that he does looks good. So that that's one of those things that I really enjoy seeing. And then Brad, you know, filled in a gap for me that he had been in a car wreck, and so he's he's trying to protect his neck and his back from that, and it it works very well. This is one of the few cases I don't remember which match it was in, but one of these matches had one of those cells that old timers like to talk about you get punched in the face once and you stumble around and you sell it and that sort of stuff and they do that and gilbert sells it well enough that you don't look at it and go uh you know we're gonna show the punch for you know two minutes you know, like it looks it looks good and it looks believable without being over the top silly yeah he i think was, that he was in a bad wreck i think in the early 80s and like he his neck and back never recovered so if you watch his matches he can bump a little wonky sometimes and mm-hmm. that's why, because he he bumps stiff to protect his neck. Okay. I I felt like I saw that the most in like the fourth of these matches. Uh, with this one, I felt some of the bumping that he did was a little was a little wonky, but not. I don't, I don't know necessarily to protect himself. It was just like he was just doing like weird sell in my eyes. Like he early yeah. in this early in this match, he took like a. A bump, and I think it was like not. I wouldn't even say a bump. It was like he like flew around. It was just like a he he took a, a spot from Terry Garvin. I think it was just like a punch, and it's like he did this almost like exaggerated, like all. It was almost like a curly shuffle, but it was like standing in, in place where he's like like wiggling his arms or and his in his legs. It's like he's kind of selling that. It's like oh, I just got punched in the face and I'm a little loopy from it. Yeah, but it was weird. It was like he was like shaking in place a little bit. And I'm like, that's odd selling. But I knew what he was doing. It wasn't. It was kind of obvious to me what he was doing. But it was a little odd. I think it was just to add effect. But I'm like, oh boy, he's like, it's kind of selling a little bit too much right there in that instance. But and there was a couple of other times where he's like selling, and it was weird. But I think that was just to add to the match. Yeah. Kind of get over Terry Garvin. Yeah, and they, then so the second match rolls around, and this one he does actually put Terry Garvin over. Now, mm-hmm. he he had the TV title belt coming into this, right? Because the, the, the volume on this is real bad, so I couldn't hear the commentary. Mm-hmm. But I think Gilbert had the TV title, right? 
I, I think so. Because I, I'm pretty sure... Because I looked at the title history, because I'm like, oh, did Terry Garvin actually hold the TV title? And I was like, oh, no, they, they, sh- they like, held the title up after a match with them, and then Gilbert won it back. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if this is that match where they held it up. Mm-hmm. I'm not but sure. I don't the think the it, sound on this was so down, it was hard. It was almost impossible. This, yes, there was, like... I think the second and third, like the the volume on this was cranked so low that I turned the volume up as far as I could and it was like still like a whisper. Yeah, the fourth one blew me blew my hearing out because I had it <laughs> way up and then the fourth one's like normal volume. I'm like, oh fuck, like yeah, turn yeah. down, turn down. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, the second one's forgettable, honestly. It, it is. It is. That to me that was like the problem with the second and third match. We'll we'll get to the third in a minute, but this it, it was like unfor- it was kind of forgettable. It was like it was just there. Mm-hmm. And the problem with the problem is that these matches like I can't I can't say that I like them. Um, at least like the first three, but they weren't act they weren't like bad per se. It was just like I can see in context why they're well remembered because for TV in 1991 these would have been high end matches Mm -hmm. but see that's the problem like in the early 90s they would have been like perfectly good matches Mm -hmm. uh compared to what you were actually like seeing regularly but you know once we started getting into like the attitude era you would start getting like in nitro and everything like that you you effectively get like almost pay-per-view quality matches like on your tv yeah i mean gwf gwf though did have good matches because if you think about all the stuff we've reviewed we've Mm -hmm. seen quite a few good matches for such a short period of time because we saw Sean Waltman and Jerry Lynn, which was really good. Oh yeah. We saw um, the Patriot and Buddy Landell. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, There was another one that was pretty decent. And then these four, like, you know, it has, it has quite a, you know, good amount of matches that are decent. Yeah. Well, GWF had some good workers in there. Yeah, definitely. But so I think the third match, third match, he, Terry Garvin dropped the um, the weird like tights that were like had the weird color scheme going on. And that made me quite happy when he was just in like the basic black gear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dropping the Steiner tights. Yeah. <laughs> he looked much better. Yeah. That's it. Didn't he also not have the mustache in that one? Because yeah, in yeah. one of these, he, he had his early 90s mullet, and he had a mustache. And I was just like, N- I, I, maybe that worked at the time, but no. No, 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 no. Uh, Chad? Yeah. Or actually, both of you guys, I, I like <laughs> I like the, the reference. This is like Steiner tights. Um, I <laughs> guess recently, uh, it was the, the match, the tournament, AEW a title tournament qualifier match between um, Sammy Guevara and uh, Moxley. Yeah. And Sammy wore like some really bright garish tights. And our friend, Justin, a friend of the show, Justin uh, <laughs> like was messaging me during it. And he's like, Sammy's wearing tights. He's like, Sammy, Sammy's wearing tights. that look like 19 uh, early 1990s. Scott Steiner threw up all over them. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay, so we might have coined ourselves a term of Steiner tights at this point. <laughs> yes. Um, so this I felt like the third match, something like 
finally clicked with them. This felt like a very good tempoed, like basic bitch wrestling match that was executed well. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I think, a fair way of describing it. And I don't mean like that's the thing when people we've talked about that with booking and stuff is like people think when you say basic bitch that you mean it's bad. It's like, no, sometimes well executed basic bitch is better than like bad. It, I know I said this earlier on in in the run of our podcast, but if you go out there and you have a match that's fine, that's okay. You don't have to have big five-star whatevers every time. You, you can go out there and have a match that has the basic structure to it and that sort of expected stuff. And you go out there, if you're good enough to get the crowd into it, you get the crowd invested in it, you go out there, you do your stuff, you finish the match, the crowd reacts to it, great. You have done your job, and there is nothing wrong with that. Now this As one, a matter of fact, people will screw matches up by trying to be too clever. Yeah. Now this one, I think, is the best like heel performance from Eddie Gilbert. Uh, yeah, I think think that's right i he, wish i'd written more down he was doing a lot with his facial expressions in this one i i want to say like i i would agree but i i i also loved his like presentation at the very beginning of this match where he comes out there and like like the shaded i almost feel like they're aviators like the shaded aviators yeah. and like he has almost like the bomber jacket on that's matching his tights and he just looks like I would say it looks like somebody like, but it's like it's it's clearly like a presentation he's going for, and he looks. I have to say though, looks good. I have like to he, say he though, he puts wait, some thought to it. I have to say though, he it misses something when he's not come when he does when he has that look and he's not coming out to Donna Summer like it does lose a little. Yeah, you know, touch of something. That's true. His his mannerisms in this are actually pretty good. Like when like early on, when Terry uh, Garvin starts getting one over on him, and like he like like. Eddie gets this look on his face where he's just like incredulous and it's like, he can't believe it. And it is also a look of concern. Like it wasn't, it's not going early on how he thought it was going to go. And like his, his, his facials are really good. Like there's like, uh, some quiet desperation in his face where it's like, this is not how I thought things were going. Like I'm a little concerned about this. And he's like kind of showing that to the crowd. I would also Mm -hmm. say it's a, it's, um, it's a touch of earned respect for his opponent of, oh shit, like, mm-hmm. I can't let this guy, you know, get momentum. And Terry Garvin's throwing some fire here, too. He's taking yeah. it seriously, which is what I I did appreciate that as a face. He's, like, not taking it for granted. He's, like, actually, like, focused on what he needs to do out there. Yeah, I don't know if the tights were were meant to subliminally tell you that, but I agree. Like he got much more aggressive. He was mm-hmm. all about business and, and the, the just coming out in like the basic black like mm-hmm. trunks and stuff kind of signified that. But I don't know if that was on purpose because right. the next match he's back to, to the Steiner tights. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the Gilbert's selling still shines in this. Like, his selling in these matches is elevating a lot. Yeah, he and, was. He's really miscast with when like WCW used him as a face. Like, he is just so much better as a heel. Mm-hmm. Just, just big enough 
to be larger than average, just good looking enough to lord it over people. And he, it, it was just enough that you could say he's got too much swagger for what he's got. He's got a little bit, but he overestimates and, himself. And he's, well, like you said, he's just a bit bigger than average, but he's also small enough that his popping off annoys you because he's like the little dog writing checks his butt can't cash. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very good heel combination of stuff. He's like the perfect build for a heel, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, well, uh, what's the phrase I'm going to look for? If I was going to have a build a prototypical heel, not one that we're doing variations on, not doing the monster heel, not doing the peewee chicken shit heel, but just kind of your your standard heel thing. Yeah, I, I will agree with you on that. Looking him up, uh, his build height was 5'10". His build weight was 222. Uh, let's say that that was like close to shoot. It's like he would not be like small in today's day and age like he might be if you're some of the some of the wwe like he might be but like imagine someone like him in aew it's like he would be probably like perfectly fine Mm -hmm. in terms of like his size he's fine he's fine in this era like i've never seen him in anything where i'm like remember he when we watched him work um that tag of him and Steamboat versus Barry Windham and Ric Flair, he looked perfectly fine in there with Barry Windham. And Barry Windham's fucking huge. Yeah, he's he's a big, tall dude. Yeah. Barry Windham's like, what, 6'7? He six, was five. billed as that. Six, was he billed that high? I thought he was like 6'5. Okay. If he was billed at 6'5. He might legitimately be like 6'7. Six, he's six, a seven, big I boy. I mean, he's, yeah, a big dude. And Flair, I mean. People don't realize it because he's quietly like a big guy, but Flair's not a, not not a small man either. Right. Mm. And like he was smaller than those guys, but he looked like he could hold his own. Mm-hmm. This I know we're talking about Eddie Gilbert, but just to, I've, I've mentioned this before. I felt maybe not on the podcast, but I've mentioned it before. Where it's like one of the things that really like fascinated me about Barry Windham is I heard an old shoot of he uh, that he did. Mm-hmm. And the question was asked to him. It's like, who do you think in wrestling never lived up to their potential? And Barry had like the most self-deprecating but honest answer. He's like, well, me. Like, I don't feel like I lived up to my potential based upon like what people were saying about me at the time and how like I let some of my real life like personal demons like affect my career. And it was like, that's a really like introspective answer. That's actually probably true. It's like, cause there was a period of time where Barry Windham was one of the best workers on the entire planet. You could make the, you could even make the argument that he was. Oh, in 87, he, he was top three. Yeah. You could make the argument that he may have been the best at, at, for a a, a kind of a more narrow period of time, but yes. I'd argue in 98 and 99, he made a comeback and he was good again. But some yeah. of it, I mean, a lot of it's his I, own fault. But there's there's some yeah. things that happened to him that um, are not his fault. Like when they um, was that ninety two where he came back from like knee surgery and they'd use like a corpse ligament to oh, restructure yeah, yeah. his knee and like it didn't take and like just didn't it like tear off of the bone or something? Yeah, like stuff like that's not his fault, and I think that really screwed his career. 
Yeah. Yeah, and he unfortunately had like some real life personal stuff with his family because his, well, his, yeah. da- his dad and his brother were doing crazy stuff like uh, counterfeiting like, ring. Yeah, legit counterfeiting ring. And he got kind of roped into all of that. I don't think he's ever doing anything with it, but he no. had to kind of deal with the fallout for that. But that's mm. kind of that's kind of funny. It's a funny Herb Abrams side thing is they announced that uh, Black Jack Mulligan was involved and he mm. was um, in jail for counterfeiting. Yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, I never watched uh, Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. That old the promotion that for a time like in the late '90s, early 2000s, was done by. Dusty like Dusty? Dusty, yeah, and I don't know if there's a lot of footage that actually exists of that, but I I had heard I found some tidbits of it. Okay, I had heard that again. I don't know if there if footage exists of it, but I had heard that Barry was part of that, and from what I heard back in the day, this is like years ago, like on message boards, I was hearing this, but it's like I heard that Barry was making like a career resurgence and like the work that he was putting into like that promotion, like he just was awesome. Like it was awesome. Oh wow! Yeah, but turn it back to Eddie. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, are we done talking about the third match, or we want to go into the fourth? Let's go. Into the I fourth. think we can go into the fourth. Which has okay. the fourth match has the most uh, memorable thing of the whole lot of them. Which so someone needs to steal that finish. Oh God, that I loved that finish. Um. One of the things that happened in this one is that they had kind of a good old-fashioned chop fest, and Garvin did way better throwing chops than punches. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It was cathartic to see how good those chops were compared to how bad those punches were. Uh, and then through the course of this, uh, it, it, I thought it was a much better match, but like like Brad said, the with the ending that we got with that finish it it did not harm gilbert to do it it made him look cagey and smart i don't yeah, know why it's... no one's ever ripped that off that was amazing yes i loved that finish so what it is if, if you don't see it yeah, so man. um garvin went to suplex him back in the ring and went to roll over to pin him and eddie caught him in midstream and rolled him up and pinned him yes, yes. He like used his legs to kind of like grapevine uh, Terry Garvin's legs and get the one two three, and it did make him look cagey. He looked like like the wily veteran who caught his opponent uh, in a moment where he, I want to say sleeping, but he caught him like unawares at that point, and like he just took advantage of it. And it's it's actually a brilliant feud ender if you think about it because it, it Eddie won clean, mm-hmm. but he but. But Garvin saves face, but you can move on because Eddie beat him and Garvin can't can't say anything about it. He just lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Eddie yeah. got him on a super cagey, like kind of fluky move. So it's it's actually kind of a brilliant way if you want to end a feud and have like a winner but have the loser save face. Yeah. It's it's just it's such a good, good finish the whole way around. Um yeah, I know we've said that, but it, it bears repeating. It really is that good. Of it. Uh, yeah, whoever put that finish, like I, I just love it. Especially like as I said, is a is a cap on a feud. It's really good. It is. It really is. It's the better biggest... than. It's way better than that stupid. Oh, I German suplexed you. 
oh, one of us got our shoulder up at two and three fourths, and someone got pinned. Usually uh, the giver. I hate. I fucking hate that move. Yeah. It's a German suplex, guys. Most people bridge the thing. If I if you see someone do a German suplex, and the guy who's throwing it is slouched down on the mat, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. It, yeah. it it's just that's tiring, and it's you know maybe it's unfair of me, but I I would like to think that sooner or later certain things would be put out to pasture because they just don't do it, you know. And they don't ask me. Yeah. So. One of my big takeaways from watching this, and this is not to dump on Eddie Gilbert, but I just hadn't gotten to watch a lot of Eddie Gilbert stuff because it just hadn't happened across my path. You know, there's no issue with him or anything. But my takeaway is that his his selling and his ring economy is so good that I I fully understand why so many people venerated him in in his time as being so smart. He's kind of a total package guy because his promos are really good. I wouldn't say his ring work is A+, but his ring work is above average to good. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, he knows what he's doing. Um, he seems, from what I've seen of him, rather unselfish in his approach to like working with guys like he mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have a problem with jobbing or anything. Right. He seems well, like he's a good smart tag to... guy too. Yeah. He's smart enough to know that you gotta, you gotta put people over to get heat and he, you know, he would do that. He, he backed up and sold for, for Garvin in that, uh, that last match. And how often do you see that now? You don't see that as well. I shouldn't say that. That's that's not a fair statement to make. It's it's something that went away for a long time. For for a while, it was not something you got to see consistently because nobody wanted to back up like a chicken shit. And it's like, damn it, back up. You know, let let the let the face shine. Let him be a threat to you because. If you won't do that, then why in the hell do I care about your match? There's nothing there that's engaging for me now. And he didn't have a problem doing that. And his, um, I think where he's underrated, that you'd have to, re- you have to watch a lot of him to really start to appreciate, is his facial expressions. Like he's very good, especially in ring, of telling you a whole story just through his body language and facial expressions. Like, the, the Shane Douglas match is a good example of that, where he's obviously not taking him seriously at first. Yeah. Shane gets a little offense on him, and he's like, okay, okay, well, like, okay, like, kid gloves are coming off, buddy. Like, I'm getting serious now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, you're right. Um, it, it, it seems to me, let me let me couch my phrasing just a little bit that there is a lot of credit that should go his way but might might get missed not because he wasn't good but because his strengths were not um, the the blazingly apparent things like he was very good 
at the small detail stuff that you've got to be paying attention for to really catch. I think what hurts him too is what we talked about last week is um he doesn't have that like signature run anywhere. Like if you yeah. watch a promotion like for a couple years straight of the TV, he might pop in and out a couple times, but you're probably lucky if he lasts eight months for one of those. And really, if you're talking about, you know, an hour TV show for six months, he might only show up and wrestle like six or seven times in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And if it's a if it's a promotion where he does more like he's probably wrestling jobbers and he you might see him in like one signature right. match in that time frame. Yeah, it's kind of hard to um, to to sell your friends on watching his stuff when there's not like a uh, an established real big story to to yeah uh, get you behind him. I I do think that if he had had one big like signature run, probably preferably like in in WCW. Like early, maybe early '90s WCW. Like I do think that he would be. I mean, he's remembered, but he's remembered for people like us who are just nerds. long-term wrestling fans. Yeah, we're wrestling nerds, <laughs> and and we were, if not necessarily watching during the the time periods that he was active, but at least like became fans within enough, a close enough time period that we could appreciate him, mm-hmm. or at least have heard of him. And then appreciate his stuff after the fact, like when more footage became available or we had more access to it. But I think if he had that uh, kind of signature run, like we we would probably people would probably remember him a little better and a little more fondly. Because I do think that he, looking at him, like he was good enough, and he was good enough on the on the mic and and really good with angles. Like I think that if he all of that had fallen into place for him, like and if he just had literally like a like a couple year run, if like he could have. If he could have mm-hmm. just lived another ten years and made it through the Attitude Era, I think he would have he would have really found a niche with WCW or WWF in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And I think he would yeah. have really excelled in those environments. He could have even found a niche in like ECW. Yeah, if he came back, I agree. Yeah, like he yeah. knew enough of the Memphis style that he could have like figured it out. Yeah, it but... didn't end well with ECW because he was kind of heavy into drugs at the time. Yeah, yeah that's, I, I unfortunately contributed to his uh, his early death. Like he he wasn't that old when he died. Well, they said there. I think it's that, but they his dad also said that some of it was complications from the car wreck mm-hmm. that he thought. But but he and but if you listen to Heyman, him and Heyman actually had like a long lasting relationship working wise. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah, because wasn't it that? Uh, I think I did. Did Eddie kind of get uh, Paul hired for ECW? Because yeah. I think he, I think they Eddie had worked was booking in, it. Yeah, he was booking it. They had worked in Continental together, and I think they had worked in Windy City together. Yeah, and I think that Eddie, like, I think Eddie got uh, Paul to come help book it uh, mm. with yeah. him because he was like, he either wanted to like. Uh, move on from it or he felt he needed assistance uh and he after just like a few months like he he eventually he would give up his position to paul because i think i think he was like instrumental in bringing paul in because i think paul had gotten fired from wcw for um what should we call it some dubious expense reporting 
Mm. <laughs> Is that what he what? got? Paul Heyman not yeah. giving the finances. What? Yeah. yeah. I am I am gobsmacked. Yeah. I know shock. <laughs> but these are yeah. on these are on YouTube. Um the footage, the the audio is a little wonky on two of them, but the footage is in decent shape. I'd say they're worth watching if you want, if you if you like GWF or like weird little side promotions. It gives you uh, some insight into, I guess, more period piece stuff because it's this it's this interesting medium between uh, at the more Shall we say accelerated style you got later on, and then the more old school slow style stuff? But yeah, you're right. Eddie Gilbert was a guy who was, frankly, just just a few years off of where his, um, you know, of, of where he would have shined, and that's a shame. It's it's really a crying shame to have to see that happen to somebody. It's like. You know, you were just just a few degrees off left or right in terms of timing. Um, I hate that. You know, I hate seeing that sort of thing. Yeah. But here we are. So, all right. I think that'll about wrap us up, unless there were any other um, thoughts we wanted to get out there or any other uh, upcoming things or anything like that we wanted to mention. Um. So we're probably going to kick off the Dangerous Alliance around Halloween. Um, mm. I think there's going to be a viewing project, like a viewing show between then, because after watching the brawl, I kind of want to do a Randy Savage in Memphis episode. <laughs> yeah. Because, is... because the Randy Savage in Memphis um, is a successful invasion angle, because that's the ICW crew invading Memphis. Yes, it is. And all of the fun um, <clears throat> wrinkles that brings with it. Because it even ends up with him and Lawler teaming up to take on, like, I think Rick Rude and King Kong Bundy or something like that. Oh, I didn't I, I didn't remember the ending part on it. Yeah. That's fun. All right. So that's kind of what we'll be looking at down the pike, sprinkled in with some other stuff. If you have requests, send them our way as well. We'd like to hear from you. Hit us up on any of our social media. And so, with all that being said, that, that said, this is Shad hmm. with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners during the fourth, and we will catch you next time.